This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study uh, from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport. Um, uh, Rick here from themanchurch.com and, and, and obviously co-host of the Rick and Bubba show as well. Uh, and if, we, if you joined us for the first time in the Wednesday Bible study, we thank you for being here. I do want to give you some things that are going on uh, with themanchurch.com. And you know, go, even though this Bible study isn't just designed for men, that's kind of how it started. Uh, but the things we, we cover, usually, uh, you know, whether you're male or female, uh, this applies to all of us. But but do want you to know about what's going on with themanchurch.com. We're a resource for men's ministry all over the country. And uh, if, if you're watching this or listening to us uh, live, uh, that would be that uh, that means today is January the 13th. Uh, and tomorrow, the 14th, I'll be in Laurel, Mississippi. They're going to implement at Journey Church the entire discipleship strategy that you, your community group, your church can also find at themanchurch.com. We offer you know services where we have speakers and teachers that challenge the men then we put them into curriculum. We have 40-week curriculums. Uh, we have one right now called The Pursuit. We have a new one coming out uh, at the 1st of March uh, that deals with eight men of the Bible. So we, we provide turnkey everything you need a year at a time to implement a discipleship strategy. So I'll be at Journey Church at Laurel, Mississippi uh, tomorrow night. This will be their man church, the High Challenge Gathering, and then these men will be entering in uh, to our small group curriculums. Also on the 21st, I'll be in Leeds, Alabama, at First Baptist Church Leeds, uh, if you want to join us for that. Uh, then I'll go to the 22nd, Johnny Hunt and I will be together. Uh, in Americus, Georgia, we'll be at Central Baptist Church. This will be a men's steak dinner. Uh, themanchurch.com teaming up on this one uh, with our friends at Real Momentum, another great resource for men's ministry. Uh, on February the 7th, I'll be in Warrior, Alabama, Crossroads Baptist Church, They'll start our men's discipleship strategy from themanchurch.com. I'll be there for their man church service, and these men will be going into your small group gatherings. I do want you to be aware of one change uh, with a conference that we have coming up. You know, we do services, but we also do conferences. Uh, our Pursuit Men's Conference in Dothan, Alabama. Uh, this is our second year. Uh, we've been promoting you know, that we, what we had coming up, and because of COVID restrictions, uh, the city has now limited uh, the crowd of men down to only 400. So we will be leaving the Dothan Civic Center. We'll not be there. Uh, we'll be going over to Ridgecrest. Uh, this, this great church will host our event. Uh, everything else will stay the same, but sadly, uh, because of the reduction in the number of men, and that means the reduction and the ability to, uh, to pay some of the expenses, uh, Steve Farrar now will not be able to join us. It costs a, uh, you know, a certain amount of money to bring him from Texas and Everything that, that he requires and deserves uh, now will not be possible. So Steve Farrar will not be part of our lineup anymore, but I will still be speaking. Rich Wingo will still be speaking. Uh, Brody Kroll will still be speaking. Our very own, right here if you're a fan of the Rick and Bubba Show, Chris Adler and his brother Jake and Riggs Taylor uh, and, and some great musicians will still be there leading worship. It'll just move to Ridgecrest now, uh, the church in Dothan. Uh, everything else will stay the same except Steve Farrar, sadly, will not be with us now, and the number's been reduced to 400, so there's only, uh, there's less than 100 tickets now that are that are available, so you can go to PursuitMensConference.org uh, and get your tickets, and then we'll see you coming up on that weekend. So there's more. I mean, we've got a lot going on this year, uh, Lord willing, uh, and keep praying for, you know, because it's good for men to be able to meet even in the same room uh, and then go into these small groups, so pray over us uh, because um, we want as many of these uh, to to happen as we have on the schedule. We've already had some that have moved to next year, but if it's the current stuff right now can be found at BurgessMinistries.com under events. And also at TheManChurch.com, uh, we just released uh, the third and final uh, uh, copy, uh, uh, final installment, I should say, of the How to Be a Man series, our 40-day devotionals for individual men or also small groups. And this one is, what does it mean to be a disciple? Eight characteristics of what discipleship and being a disciple of Jesus actually looks like. Uh, if you'd like to get that, you can get that at themanchurch.com. Let's open in a word of prayer, and let's dive right into session four of the J.I. Packer book, Knowing God. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for these things that we just laid at your feet. Thanks 
uh, be with those that are, that are struggling and hurting and are sick and, and be near to those that are mourning. Uh, of course, uh, the, this time of chaos that we find ourselves in, uh, now more than ever we look to a place of order, and that's where you reign, and you still reign, and nothing has changed about that. Uh, and today, help us to understand how we can know you even better by today talking about something maybe we should uh, remove from our life something that maybe we should see differently and more biblically in our lives today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so if you, if you got the book, it's uh, J.I. Packer, who passed away back uh, this past summer. Uh, it is called Knowing God. This book has uh, impacted so many people, uh, and it's certainly impacting me. And, and, and the concept is that uh, what does it mean to know God? I mean, we can know a lot about God without ever really knowing God. And and it's not the pursuit to be theologically correct uh, to answer questions. That's not the pursuit. The pursuit is to actually know God in an intimate way. And last week you heard scripture uh, that, that biblically God says, it's my desire that you know me. I, I desire that you know me above burnt offerings and anything. I, I want you, I'm allowing myself to be known. So the limits that we have in our lives about our knowledge of God, not just about God, but of God, is really on us. It may be that we, we have not put in the effort, we've not sought to know God. Now, today it takes a little bit of a turn. Uh, it's a little bit different. Uh, today is going to talk about something that, uh, that Scripture says in, in the Ten Commandments that I know I'm learning a lot about, and, and today it's going to be difficult because I'm already texting back and forth with some of my friends that have already read this uh, chapter, and they're kind of like, hey, you know, how are we going to unpack this today? Well, we'll unpack it uh, the way J.I. Packer talks about. We'll also unpack it, and as we should, we're going to take it and we're going to lay it across Scripture. Because remember, you know, the things that we believe about God, we don't force down on Scripture. Uh, it should rise out of Scripture as the foundation. And we'll do that today. If you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, go to Exodus, Exodus uh, chapter 20, and we're going to look at the first two commandments. Uh, Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to look at the first two commandments. Uh, and this, of course, those start uh, in verse 3 uh, of chapter 20 of Exodus. And if you're with me, let's read. Uh, I'm using the English Standard Version, but it, you, you, whatever version you're using, follow along. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. We've heard that's the number one commandment. Nothing in our life should, should, should be God to us and be in place of the one and only living God. But here's what we're going to unpack today, and that is the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Underline that, because that's, that's going to have a lot to say with where we're going today. Or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And then it goes on to say, if this takes place, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me, and this is the thing we've had a lot of Bible studies on, keep my commandments. So God's saying, for those who are fathers and their children and the third and fourth generations who hate me, then, then, then iniquity is coming down on you. For those that have a steadfast love uh, for me and keep my commandments, you know, that's, that, that, that's, uh, that's what I'm going to be showing them, a steadfast love as well. All right, so here's the part that, that I think maybe I know for a large portion of my life I really never thought about. I, I, went, I went to the second commandment and I said, well, the second commandment is talking about uh, that we shouldn't have idols, you know, carved images of, of these idol things like animals and made-up gods and all these, uh, you know, graven images. Remember that in the King James Version, graven images and, and, and all of that. And I thought I kind of understood it and I kind of moved along from it. But J.I. Packer is saying not so fast. Uh, he's saying, let's, let's have a look because if, if it's just the way you see it, Rick, then there really isn't a need for the second commandment because God has already said in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. So why did he go on in the second commandment to say you shall not make for yourself a carved image? I mean, if you should have no other gods before him, a carved image of a false god is covered in that statement. And I was like, well, that's true. That's a great point. 
but, but so then he goes on to say, so you need to look at the second commandment and read it in its entirety. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Hmm. See, I, I had kind of overlooked that, and, and I shouldn't have, because J.I. Packer said, I got to tell you, this is a biggie. Uh, th this, is, this is not a contribution or combining of the first commandment, talking about images uh, that, that other cultures worship. He said, this is not what this is about, because that's really covered in the first commandment. Uh, what this is saying is we should not make use of any picture or visual representation of the triune God. It's not just saying that we go make up gods or we have animals that represent things. Or it, it's certainly saying that in the entirety of the Ten Commandments. That is said and that is sin and that is wicked. But here's where we all got to look at our lives a little differently today. If, we, if we're going to say, I want to know God. I want to know how God sees everything, and I want to be in line with God. This commandment, the second commandment, is saying, I want, to, I, want, I want to be pretty specific here. God saying, I don't want you making any images of me. I don't want you making any images of angels. I don't want you making any images of any part of this triune God. I don't want you worshiping images of anything, even in heaven above. Now, I know. I, I, I had the same reaction that some of you are having right now. This, this, does, this, this deals with our object of worship, and I think that's where, you know, maybe ease, take the pressure off a little bit. We are not to have pictures or try to make any kind of image of any part of the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that we place in a position of worship. That's in a church, that's in our homes, that's anywhere. Now, does that mean that we can't have a cross? Does that mean that we can't have a, an artist's uh, representation of Jesus? We'll unpack that today uh, because we're, we're going we're gonna to kind of walk this and be sure that we understand what this commandment is saying, but also to talk about what it's not saying. Okay, and I, I, I think that's important. So remember, it's not dealing with, with the the object uh, 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 the object of our worship, but it's dealing with the manner of it. How do we see these things? Meaning, I mean, if we want to say that this is something that reminds us to to worship the one and only living God, these are things that inspire us. You know, you're still kind of walking the line as you'll see. J.I. Packer, he says, but what they absolutely should not be is objects of worship. Like you're looking at a picture somebody came up with of what they think Jesus looked like and you're sitting there worshiping it like that artist got it right, that somehow Jesus' glory is captured in this picture when it can't be. And you certainly are, are, are we're not supposed to be put it, placing these things that we know what God looks like, so therefore we're worshiping some image of the one and only living God. So is this a big deal? Well, apparently it is, uh, and this gets unpacked pretty good uh, in, uh, in the book uh, on page 45. He says, this categorical statement rules out not simply the use of pictures and statues, or statues, I'm sorry, which depict God as an animal, but also the use of pictures and statues which depict him as the highest created thing we know, a human. We should never be worshiping any picture uh, that, that, that we have come up with that looks like a human being and start worshiping it or acting like we've captured an image of God. That should not happen. Uh, it, it rules out uh, pictures and statues of Jesus Christ as a man, although, all, all, although Jesus himself is 100% man and 100% God. The problem is trying to, to get a picture that you're saying, well, this is Jesus. I just said it. That picture could never capture the 100% God. It can't capture it. And there should be, to, to attempt it is, is, is heresy, is, is sin. And, and so that's what this second commandment deals with. Uh, and, and if you want, if you, you know, if you want to say this is a this is a likeness, then that's a problem. Uh, you know, if if you want to put it in some area where saying I'm not trying to attempt a likeness at all, it's just a reminder. Um, you know, that may be fine. Now, now Christians have differed on whether the second commandment forbids the use of pictures of Jesus at all, like for purposes of teaching and instruction, like in a, a Sunday school class, for instance. And, and that question, and J.I. Packer says, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to come down either way on that question because it's a hard one. 
and I think it has a lot to do with where your heart is and all that. It says, but, but, but there's no room for doubting that the commandment obliges us to disassociate our worship, both in public and in private, from all the pictures and statues of Christ, no less than from pictures and statues of his Father. One thing that we're going to come down on today, let me tell you what this second commandment is absolutely forbidding, is for any likeness be attempted of any member of our triune God and be placed in a position of our worship. That, that is forbidden by God, and he, and he doesn't like it at all. And, and so it's, we need to be very careful about this. So, but, what, but what, in that case, is the point of, of comprehensive pro, uh, prohibition? Meaning, you know, from the emphasis given to the commandment itself with the, the frightening sanction attached to it, meaning I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring down iniquity on anybody who hates me, meaning if you're trying to make images of, of me and worshiping them, that means you hate me and my iniquity will come down on those who do it. I am a jealous God. I don't want you to depict me because you can never capture my glory. You'll downgrade me, and there's a severe punishment coming from that. So, so one would suppose that this must really be a matter of crucial importance, but is this all that important? And you know what we're coming down on with this, the things the Bible says? Yes. Yes, this is very important. So if you're like me, some of you out there said, I, I really probably been a little lax in this area, and I want to be sure that I've got it right. The Bible shows us that the glory of God and the spiritual well-being of humans are both directly bound up with it. There's two lines of thought that I'm going to talk about uh, that, that may help us, okay? So number one, and I've touched on it a little bit, but let's unpack it a little more. Write this down. Number one, the reason why these things are problematic when they're done the wrong way is that images dishonor God for they obscure his glory. Let's say that again. Any attempt to have an image of God and you claim that you've captured it, this is him, this is what he looks like, this is what the Son looks like, this is what the Holy Spirit looks like, this is what the Father looks like. Any attempt to do that by our limitations as human beings will blaspheme his glory. So it should not be attempted and it should not be done. Uh, and, and, and so the likeness of things in heaven, sun, moon, stars, and in earth, people, animals, birds, insects, and in the sea, fish, mammals, you know, whatever, is precisely not a likeness of their creator, meaning a, a, a true image of God. Uh, now, John Calvin uh, wrote about this. It is not to be found in all the world. His glory is defiled and his truth corrupted by the lie whenever he is set before our, our, our eyes in a visible form. Therefore, to devise an image of God is an issue because by this corruption, his majesty is adulterated and he is figured to be other than he is. We don't get it right. And, and now, look, we just don't do that with images of God. We do that with the presentation of God too many times that we're, we're giving people a false indication of who God says he is. And many times we do that because we don't know God the way we should. And he says there's no way to ever capture God even if you're up, you know, we know not to, you know, and we see this now where people worship his creation. People worship, you save the whales. It's okay to try to be a good steward of what God gave us. We should be a good steward of this planet, but we shouldn't worship it. And when somebody says, well, the reason why I have this, this, this touchy feeling about animals is because they represent God. No, they don't. No, they're, they're a creation by God. That'd be like saying uh, that God created Lucifer, so he represents God. No, he doesn't. Uh, he was an angel. He was something that God created, and then he became the devil and Satan when he rebelled against God and became our accuser. You know, just because God created something doesn't mean that, that, that when you see that, you could worship that, and that'd be just like worshiping God. No, it's not. Uh, you know, that, that would be like saying that you know, somebody uh, that, 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 that to go and, and, and pay great honor uh, to something somebody made, like Henry Ford. I, I'm going to go over and stand next to a Ford, and looking at a Ford, I'm looking at Henry Ford. No, you're not. You're looking at Henry Ford's creation, uh, but you're not looking at Henry Ford. And, and so that's where we get into the, the trouble with this kind of stuff. You know, this whole thing that somehow uh, anything God created can be worshipped just as much as God can be worshipped. That's incorrect. And any attempt to take any image and lay that down as God is forbidden by God's own words, and we need to get that. 
All right, example. I, and, and some of you may not have understood this part of the story. I remember hearing this as a kid. I certainly did not understand this, that when Aaron, you remember when Moses goes up to Sinai and, and, and you know, while he's gone, they think, well, man, he hadn't come back as quick as we thought he would. And before you know it, they're gathering up all the gold and they're making this golden calf. Most of you watching this, may, I would think, are pretty familiar with this story. Well, I used to look at that like where they went out and made an idol like all the pagan nations. That's not really what happened. Uh, Aaron made a golden calf uh, that is a bull image. It was meant as a visible symbol of Jehovah. See, I, I never was taught that. I, I thought this was just, we, they made some idol like the rest of the, the pagan nations. No, he thinks, and they think, they're going to make an image of uh, something that glorifies Jehovah. That They were actually making that image not to uh, say there's another God. They thought this would represent their God. Did you know that? I I mean, I learned that but recently, but I, I never knew that a lot in my life. The mighty God who brought Israel out of Egypt. This was supposed to be something to glorify God, Jehovah. No doubt the image was thought to honor him as being a fitting symbol of his great strength, but it's also not very hard to see that such a symbol, in fact, insults God for what idea of moral character, his righteousness, his goodness, and his patience could one gather from looking at a statue of God as a bull, a male cow. I mean, it, 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 that's not God. I don't see God's goodness. I, I, I don't see God's patience. I, I don't see God's righteousness by looking at this image of a bull. Well, that represents his strength. No, it does not. It's a bull. It insults God. Do you, do you see? And if you don't believe that, we all saw what happened. So the bottom line is this. Aaron's image was meant to glorify Jehovah, but it actually hid his glory. And that's why we have to be very careful about, I'll use the term, dumbing God down to images and symbols. This is forbidden in Scripture. The crucifix. I know, I, I, here we go. It obscures the glory of Christ, for it hides the fact of his deity, his victory on the cross in his present kingdom. So a lot of times people, especially those who portray uh, you know, the, the, the crucifix with Jesus' body still on it. Like that's still where he is. That's not where he is. You say, but Rick, we're looking at this to remember. Well, okay, but do I need that to remember what Jesus did for me? Because first of all, it's probably not a correct depiction. It was probably much worse than what we have here. See, I believe that th that image has always bothered me with, with, with Jesus depicted still on the cross because he's not. Now, he's defeated the cross. He's defeated the tomb. He's not in either one of those places anymore. That's over. He's not a baby. That doesn't represent Jesus. Uh, you know, it's okay as long as you, you, you put them in their proper place, and then you get to the people that just wear crosses, you know, without uh, Jesus on it. Well, what about that, Rick? Well, I'll tell you everything you need to know about crosses. And I have, I, I have uh, crosses uh, in my home to remember what Jesus did. Have I looked at them and thought, hmm, uh, well, at one time we dealt with this in our house, this very topic, and we came to the conclusion that these things must be in our house very carefully. We should never go over and stand before them and say, oh, you know, we're going to pray to God at these crosses because that's a mistake. If we want to have these crosses to remind us of a thank you for what Jesus did, now we don't have any to have Jesus still on the cross. But the problem is about these symbols is you know as well as I do that we see people who live a pagan de, uh, that live in debauchery, that, that have foul language, foul everything in the entertainment business, or just out in life, and they walk around with a cross hanging around their neck. Well, apparently then it doesn't do the job. If it's supposed to be a reminder of Jesus, it doesn't seem to be reminding anybody of anything. And you know what it ends up becoming? A fashion statement. Yeah, I got my shirt undone, see my cross hanging here. Now, am I saying that's wrong to do that? Well, I don't know your heart. I'm going to say it could be wrong to do that because if you're living your life in open, perpetual, deliberate sin, just because you put a cross on doesn't change that. And you certainly, uh, uh, you know, you might go, well, I sure don't have it in a place of worship. Well, you're right. I'm glad of that. But apparently this symbol of remembering what we are to worship isn't working either. And, uh, I, I, I mean, the cross has become so dumbed down by so many people who wear it, it doesn't really I mean, it's just easily, it fits into culture and is accepted. 
Because you know why? That's not the image of God. Uh, most people, I mean, I went to France one time. There was a cross up on the top of the hill, and I, we got in a conversation. The people I was talking to had no idea what it meant. I, I got an opportunity to explain it to them, so it served a purpose. But it sure, certainly cannot be an object of worship, and it also can't be one of those things that says, I'm a Christian because I wear a cross. I'm a Christian because i got a fish on my car. I, I'm a Christian because you walk through my house, there's a picture of Jesus, you know, with the children. Uh, no, th those, those things uh, will not get you salvation. Those things don't mean you are redeemed, and they don't mean you're in the proper standing with God. Sometimes they may just be decorations. And, 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 and that they definitely, for sure we know, they'll give you the glory of God. And so J.I. Packer is saying this is what God's talking about in the second commandment. If these things become an object of worship, they are sinful. I'll go as far if they become an ob object of meaningless. I, 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 they're, if they're meaningless, in my, in my opinion, they're sinful. And that's just my opinion. Uh, because now you're taking this, this image that you say, I'm not worshiping, but it reminds me of how great God is, but yet you're taking it around in parts of your life that are riddled with sin. Now it's just, it's just a fashion statement. A lot of people wear crosses on their ears and around their neck for a fashion statement alone, and you say, well, how do you know that? Because I see how they live. I see how they live. So this, this is part of what he's talking about, about these images in that second commandment because we don't truly know everything that was done simply by looking at a cross. It, it, it also displays his human weakness, but it conceals his divine strength. It depicts the reality of his pain, but it keeps out of our sight the reality of his joy and his power. In both cases, the symbol of the crucifix is unworthy, most of all, because of what it fails to display. And so are all the other visible representations of deity. I mean, you look at some of these crosses, you think Jesus never defeated that. And what Packer's saying is the reason why God doesn't like these kind of things because they're very dangerous because I could look at a crucifix and say, well, Jesus was just this, this tortured soul uh, that never had victory over anything. Where, do I see the power? Do I see the joy of the cross? Do I, do I see the hallelujah of the cross? All I see is the agony of the cross. And you can say, well, Rick, that reminds us, though, of what Jesus suffered. It does, but it doesn't tell me the full story of Jesus. It's limited. And that's why these things can be problematic. Isaiah 40, 18, put that down. Isaiah 40, 18, after vividly declaring God's immeasurable greatness, the Scripture asks us, to whom then will you compare God? This is Isaiah 40, 18. What image will you compare to him? And the question does not expect an answer, only a chastened, a chastened, I should say, silence. Its purpose is to remind us that it is absurd, absurd to think an image modeled or images must be upon some creature should be acceptable as a likeness of the creator. See, whatever you may think of religious art from a cultural standpoint, we should not look to pictures of God to show us his glory or to move us to worship for his glory because it precisely what such pictures could ever be shown to us. And this is why God added the second commandment, a reference to himself as jealous to avenge himself on those who disobey him for God's jealousy in the Bible in his, in his zeal to maintain his own glory, which is jeopardized when images are used as and in worship. Remember what Oprah said? See, Oprah didn't understand any of that. Oprah basically abandoned her faith because she said she didn't want to serve a jealous God. She had no idea what that scripture is talking about. No, what the scripture is saying is, I am a God that will not share my glory with anyone because that's impossible because nothing will reach my glory. That's what we need to know about God. And he says, and to attempt to, to try to wrap your mind or display my glory is blasphemy, and I will not have it. And I'm a jealous God of protecting my own purity and my own glory. What Oprah doesn't understand, that if God was not a jealous God and anything could be equal to God and anything could, could bring his glory out, we wouldn't really, we wouldn't really have a, a, any hope of redemption because God would not be in a position 
to be perfect and glorious and able to offer us the redemption that we have access to. That, that's what Oprah didn't understand. Oprah thinks she should be worshipped at the same level that God should be worshipped. And that's what she doesn't get. She's basically saying that she doesn't want to share her glory with God, but she's got a problem with him for not wanting to share his. And that's somebody who does not know God. I'm not judge of Oprah's eternity. Maybe, maybe that'll change. Maybe it already has changed. But I will comment on the things she's already said, just as you're allowed to comment on anything I do that seems to be out of line. That's not sin to say, Rick, that was wrong. If you think I have something wrong, you have every right to point to it if you can support it with Scripture. So the second problem with images. Images mislead us for they convey false ideas about God. Now this is really, really important. Write it down again. What's the other problem with images? Images mislead us for they convey a false idea about God. The very inadequacy which, may, which they represent uh, how they represent him, perverts our thoughts of him and plants in our minds errors of all sorts about his character and his will. An image will never do it, so you get a fault. This is, you've heard me rant and rave about, especially in men's ministry, these people, and I did it. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. I am wretched. Forgive me for ever being the kind of man that referred to you as the big man upstairs. Forgive me for that. I did it. You know why I did it? I didn't know you. You know why I did it? Because I, I, you were much easier to sin against if I would make you an old man with folksy, uh, uh, you know, uh, give me some stories to help me along my way, granddaddy. No, what I was actually trying, uh, saying was my God was a granddaddy. But that's not God. And you know what? You get a false sense of that. So you go out and do things. You don't have any awe of God. You're not in awe of somebody's granddaddy. You may like them and you want to be around them, but you're not in awe of them. He's not glorious. He's not perfect. You would never look at somebody's granddaddy and cry holy. So we do that, and then we send out this false image. Or something. You wonder why I said, man, aren't you afraid to do that? Well, I wouldn't want my granddaddy to know about it, but, I mean, it's not like he's going to punish me into eternal damnation and pour out iniquity on me and my children. See, that's why it's important to know who God really is. It's a big deal because you may live your life without the awe and fear of God. Therefore, it leads to eternal damnation. Oh, granddaddy's still going to be okay with me in the end. And that's the problem with these images. And that is crystal clear. Aaron, by making an image of God into the form of a bull calf, led to the Israelites to think of him as what? As a being who could uh, be worshipped acceptably by what? What happened when they got the false image of God? Orgies. Debauchery. They got lured into thinking that this image of God, it, it dumbed God down so much that they started getting involved in all kinds of debauchery thinking that worship will be acceptable to Jehovah. And you know why they did that? Because they thought probably be acceptable to this bull. And to that bull, it probably would be. He wouldn't care. But that's not God. You were given a false visual. And this festival they started doing to the Lord, you find that in Exodus 32.5, Exodus 32.5, they actually thought it was a, they said this is a festival to the Lord, but it became a shameful orgy. You wouldn't do that if the real image of God was there. You'd be terrified to do something like that. You would be so in awe of His glory you wouldn't dare start doing that. But they did in front of the false image of God. And that's what happens. That's why there's churches everywhere that there is worship going on and they're worshiping something that isn't God. He doesn't hear this worship because they've come up with a version of God that is incorrect. And that's the danger of trying to have an image that you think represents any part of a triune God. You can't do it. And if you do... This is why people with these pictures of Jesus, I think a lot of times start thinking he's a hippie or he's just, he's, just, he's just a good, he's a motivational speaker. We said this already in our study. There's a lot of human beings that have some very good advice on how you should live your life. I like John Maxwell and some things John Maxwell says. I go, you know what, that's a good point. But you know what, good luck getting John Maxwell to, to, to go to the cross and redeem me to bring me in the presence of a holy God. All authority on heaven and earth has not been given to a motiva motivational speaker. 
But if I see a picture of him and this lowly and, and he's lowly, and, but that's not him anymore. He's going to come back and judge the world. He's going to come back, and when he brings God's wrath down on this world, his glory, he will speak it. And they said when he speaks it, that, that with his mouth, all who oppose him and all evil and sin that oppose the King of kings and the Lord of lords will be slaughtered. But Rick, don't you see the picture I have of Jesus here with a little lamb holding a lamb? Yes, I see that. I'm glad he's the good shepherd. But that doesn't capture his glory. And you've got to be careful with him. Again, it's a matter of historical fact that the use of the crucifix as an aid to prayer has encouraged people to equate devotion with brooding over Christ's bodily sufferings it has made them morbid about their spiritual value of physical pain, and it has kept them from the knowledge of the risen Savior. That's the problem with crosses and crucifix. You've got to be careful. If you're starting using them and modes of prayer, you just start getting so bogged down on the suffering of the cross, and that's what it is. And we've seen people that have gone as far that do this kind of stuff where they start beating themselves and, and, and hitting their bodies. and all. No, this is not. He's risen. He offers redemption. But Rick, shouldn't we remember the price he paid? Of course, of course. But we don't worship it because that, that's a thank you for that. We don't bog down in that as if he hasn't defeated our sin. And that's the problem with these things. The, the, these examples show how images will falsify the truth of God in the minds of men. Psychologically, it is certain that if you habitually focus your thoughts on an image or a picture of the one whom you are going to pray, you will come to think of him and pray to him as the image represents him. Thus, you will, in a sense, bow down and worship the image to the extent to which the image fails to tell the truth about God. So to that extent, you will fail to worship in truth. This is why God forbids us to make use of images and pictures in our worship. You understand what I'm saying? You get too caught up in this picture before you know it. When you're praying, that's what you're picturing. You, you, you begin to start praying to an image that you have in your house or an image that they have in the church, and that, that's where the problem. Now this is not true prayer. Now you're committing this sin that's forbidden in the Second Amendment because psychologically we're just that way, especially men. We're, we're visual people. And when I see something, if I, you know, look, right now, some of you are watching this and some of you are listening to this, and you know what you're saying on that statement? Oh, my goodness, that's what I do. I, I keep picturing Jesus like that picture in my house. I, I'm praying, picturing Jesus like that picture in my grandmother's house. I'm sitting here praying to Jesus, and I'm praying to God, uh, uh, and I'm picturing him as these images that are in this church. Well, that's a problem. And God has said, I don't want you to do that. You've never seen me. And no, and no one has no one can depict me in my glory, in my deity. It can't be done. So be careful with these things. Be very careful with these things. So molten images and mental images, the realization that images and pictures of God affect our thoughts of God points to a further realm in which the pro uh, the pro prohibition of the second commandment applies. Just as it forbids us to manufacture molten images of God, so it for forbids us to dream up mental images of Him. Imagining God in our heads can be just as real a breach of the second commandment as a, a, a imagining Him by the works of our hand, meaning we don't need to get in our minds any that we can picture God. And, and this is why I had a real problem with the book and the movie The Shack. Don't like it, don't want it, think it's a problem. Uh, if you don't like that, you can email me. You know, when our youngest son went to heaven, and, and these were well-meaning people, and I do appreciate their heart, I really do. Hey, have you read The Shack? Let me get you The Shack. Send you The Shack. Let me tell you what The Shack is doing, exactly what God said not to do. Exactly what God said not to do. It is saying, how can we come up with some fun, some, some pleasant images of God and we'll make up kind of our own little storyline with the Trinity and how all that works. And I'll tell you what, that Jesus, he's so fun. Look at him. It, that's so Jesus to do that. 
uh, that's where this is problematic. I want nothing to do with the shack. I want nothing to do with that book. And you've heard me say in Bible studies, if you got the book, I wish you'd throw it away. Because I believe it's exactly uh, what the second uh, uh, commandment is talking about, and it's what this book is talking about. He said, how often, and this is what I hear, this is the stuff we got to remove from our vocabulary, we got to remove from our behavior, words like this. You know, I don't like to think of God as fill in the blank. I don't like to think of God as judge. I like to think of him as simply as father. Well, the God I worship wouldn't do that. I just don't like to think of God. Here's what I believe God wants. I don't know. If, I just don't. That's not the kind of God. That kind of stuff, and it happens all. I hear it all the time. I don't know that I could worship a God that would fill in the blank. Oh, you, you, you think that um, uh, when, when you start, it's almost like people here have never, never, never even read the book of Job. I don't, I, I don't like to think of God as Satan standing before him and, and, and God you know, brings Job up to, 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 to Satan. Well, here's the thing. How about once you do this? And I had somebody mention this, this to me this past weekend, and I thought it was great. See, everybody seems to miss when God says, look at Job. You know what he's saying? I know what I'm about to put Job through and also know that he's going to pass the test. He's my guy. Well, I don't like to think of a God that would allow Job to suffer. I don't like to think of a God that would tell Satan what he could and couldn't do. Well, that's too bad. And see, that's the problem. Now you are telling God what he should and shouldn't do. And that's a problem with this whole line of thinking about these images and these, and these, uh, uh, these things that we have that we think represent God when they really don't. And, and, and you know, I, don't, I, I think that God would do this. And I think that God, God doesn't need us added, giving him attributes we prefer. What we better do is worship the attributes that are his, period. And I promise you, who God really is will far exceed who you want him to be. And, 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 and if, if you want him to be anything other than he is, you're the problem. He's not the problem. If I want him to be anything other than who he is, I'm the problem. He's not the problem. I'm the problem. So then what do we do? Well, if he's not willing to move and change, then I'll just find something that makes me feel better about what I wish he was. Now you got real problems. Now you're in a sin. So it needs to be said that with the great possible emphasis, is what J.I. Packer says, which I, I paid attention to, something like that, that those who hold themselves free to think of God as they like are breaking the second commandment. At best, they can only think of God in the image of a man, as an ideal man, perhaps even a superman, but God is not any sort of man. We were made in his image, but we must not think of him as existing in our image. To think of God in such terms is to be ignorant of him and not to know him at all. Yes, we were made in his image, but he was not made or exist in our image. The part about us being made in his image deals more with our spirit as, as far as our physical makeup. Okay? Yes, God put his spirit in us. He breathed life into us, but we didn't give anything that made him any better. And you've got to understand that. Uh, 1 Corinthians one twenty one in the King James, Ver King James Version says, the world by wisdom, meaning by our own wisdom, the world by wisdom knew not God. 1 Corinthians one twenty one, The world with all the wisdom that we could possibly muster that's our own wisdom knew not God. So, in light of the positive purpose of the second commandment, uh, um, commandment becomes pretty, pretty plain. On the negative side, let's look at the positive and the negative of the second commandment, okay? The negative. It is a warning against ways of worship and religious practice that leads us to dishonor God and to falsify His truth. So that's the negative. It is The second commandment says negative, do not worship any image of God that is man-made, okay? Or falsify in your mind things that are not true about God. 
that, that, that is a warning. Don't do it. Here's the positive. It is a summons to us to recognize that God the Creator is transcendent, mysterious, inscrutable, beyond the range of any imagining or philosophical guesswork of which we are capable, and hence a summons to us to humble ourselves, to listen and learn of Him, and to let Him teach us what He's like and how we should think of Him. There's the positive. The negative is warning, don't do these things. You, you, they underwhelm and they underdeliver. The positive is God is so wonderful. Nothing, the, the most gifted person on this earth, human, cannot capture his glory. Cannot. We should be in awe of God. And one of the things that reminds us we should be in awe of him is that we can't capture an image of him until the day that we stand in his presence. He is beyond anything you and I can imagine. See, I don't want to go to bed at night in a world of chaos thinking my granddaddy's looking over us or my, or my earthly daddy and all of his flaws and all the things that he can't do or some superhero that really doesn't exist or some, 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 uh, some real folksy nice person that I met out in the cabin. Now, I love going to bed at night knowing that something that's indescribable, inscrutable, impossible to comprehend is looking over me and has said I can come into his presence through the redemption that only he could deliver because of what was required. He's above anything that I've ever known. That's the good news. The Bible screams about this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, God tells us. Neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Listen to that. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. You can't capture my thoughts. Your ways, they're not my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. He said, that's the kind of gap of my ways versus your ways. Think about how much higher the heavens are than the earth that you live on. That's the distance between what you can do and what I can do and the understanding of my thoughts. Paul talks about this too. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known the mind of the Lord. You find that in our study of Romans. Romans 11, 33 and 34. Again, Romans 11, 33 and 34. God is not the sort, the sort of person that we are. His wisdom, his aims, his scale of values, his mode of procedure differ so vastly from our own that we cannot possibly guess our way to them by, you know, to, to use them by any kind of analogy from our own notion of ideal manhood. We cannot know him unless he speaks and tells us about himself. How can I know them when he describes himself? I can't know him by anything anybody can describe. If somebody sat down to me and said, Rick, will you describe God to me? You know what I have to say? I let me read something out of Scripture. He's the only one that can describe himself. I can't really do it. Anything I would do would underwhelm and would be so far off the mark. But I can go to his holy word where he describes himself in the way that we just talked about. It appears that the positive force of the second commandment is that it compels us to take our thoughts of God from his own holy word and not from other sources whatsoever. You want to know who God is and how he describes? Go see how he describes himself in his own words. It's there. The mind that takes up with images is a mind that has not yet, yet learned to love and attend to God's word. Those who look to man-made images, material or mental, 
to lead them to God are not likely to take any part of his revelation as seriously as they should. Wow. Deuteronomy 4, if you, don't, if you have time, read that this week. Moses himself, he's talking about the prohibition of images and worship along the, these exact lines. He set, he's setting the making of images in opposition to the heeding of God's word and commandments as if these two things were completely exclusive from each other. He reminds the people that at Sinai, though they saw tokens of God's presence, they saw no visible representation of God himself, but only heard his word. He exhorts them in Deuteronomy 4 to continue to live as it were at the foot of the mount with God's own word ringing in their ears to direct them and not supposed image of God before their eyes to distract them. He's saying, let, which, let the presence of God and his holy word be enough for you because that is not going to be flawed. Anything you try other than this is going to be going in the wrong direction. The point is clear. God did not show them a visible symbol of himself. He spoke to them. Therefore, they are not now to seek visible symbols of God, but simply to obey his word. You want to worship God properly? Just obey his word. If it be said that Moses was afraid of the Israelites, barring designs for images from the adulterous nations around them, our reply is that undoubtedly, yes, he was. And this is exactly the point. All man-made images of God, whether molten or mental, are rarely going to do the trick. They're really just borrowing from the stock and trade of a sinful and ungodly world and are bound, therefore, to be out of accord with God's own holy word. To make an image of God is to take one's thoughts of him from a human source rather than from God himself, and this is precisely what is wrong with image making. How far do we go at keeping the second commandment? Well, it's important that, that we look at this because there are no bull images in churches that we attend, I hope. We, we probably have not got a, you may not have a crucifix in your house, though we may have some pictures of Christ on the walls, and, uh, you know, we might want to think twice about that. But, 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 we, but are we sure that the God whom we seek to worship is the God of the Bible, the triune Jehovah? Do we worship the one true God, or are the ideas of God that we have right now if we if we think of anything other than Jehovah, the Christian God, we're just doing this broad stroke of God that we don't really understand. Then, frankly, you would be no different than a Muslim, uh, you know, or an unredeemed Jewish person, um, uh, Jehovah Witness, uh, Mormons, uh, who 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 have come up with an image and and an explanation of God that is not that not complete. Uh, you say, well, how can I tell, you know, uh, what, what test is this? Well, the God of the Bible has spoken in his Son. The light of the knowledge of his glory is given to us in Jesus. Do, do I look habitually to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ as showing me the final truth about the nature and grace of God? Do I see all the purposes of God as centering upon him? If I've been, a, unable, to see, if I've been unable to see this, and in my mind, in my heart, I go to Calvary, and I lay hold of the Calvary solution that I can know that I truly worship the true God and that he is my God and that I am even now enjoying eternal life according to the Lord's own definition. Here's what he said. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We've talked about that. So in closing, a couple additional notes we'll talk about today. There's, you know, there's arguments that have been brought against what we're talking about today. First, the worship of God requires you know, some kind of uh, aesthetic uh, expression through visual arts and, and, and uh, you know, that um, this is no big deal. And uh, second, the imagination is part of the human nature as God has made it, and it should be sanctified, expressed, rather than stigmatized and suppressed. 
third, images like crucifixes, icons, statues, crosses, pictures of Jesus do in fact trigger devotion, uh, which would be weaker if we didn't have that. Um, but the things you have to understand is, you know, let's look at the first argument first, and that is that the worship of God requires some of these images or whatever, it helps. Well, that principle, probably symbolic art can serve worship in many ways, but the, the second commandment still forbids anything that will be thought of as a representational image of God. And, and what he says, which I agree with, he goes, if you've got paintings and drawings and statues of Jesus, the incarnate Son, which are always viewed as symbols of human perfection within the culture that was produced, saying, you know, if you're Anglo-Saxon, you've got a white face. If you're African-American, maybe this is presented as, you know, more looks like you, or if you're Asian, it looks more like you, uh, then that might not be a big deal. But the problem is, is when you start suggesting that the image that you have is actually what Jesus looked like. As long as you're not doing that, there may not be any harm. But since neither children nor unsophisticated adults view them in this way, we shall, in, in J.I. Packer's opinion, be wiser to not have them around. You know, if you, can, if you can walk that line that I don't think this really is an image of Jesus, if you can walk that line that this, this crucifix or this cross doesn't hold me to think that that hasn't been defeated, then if you think you can pull that off, and you think you are, but like J.I. Packer said, it may be so difficult to pull off, you just, would you really need it? Is it worth it to you? That, that is definitely between you and God. So the second argument, um, uh, you know, you can, you can say that, you know, the, the, you know, the artistic part of human nature was created by God and it shouldn't be suppressed. And, and it starts out as right, but the biblical way to apply it is to harness our verbal and visual imagination to the task of appreciating the drama and marvel of God's historical doings as it is done in the prophets and the Psalms and the book of Revelation rather than to fly in the face of the second commandment by constructing static and seemingly representational images of him. If you want to stay biblical, like we have people who do, you know, they get out and they act out things that actually happen in the Bible and they adhere to the way the Bible presents them, <coughs> there's nothing wrong with that, but where you're getting a problem <coughs> is when you're saying, I'm depicting something from the Bible or I'm depicting God, you start adding your own artistic or your own creativity. That's where it becomes a problem. <clears throat> the third argument uh, says that the problem is as soon as the images are treated as represent, they, I, this truly represents God <coughs> rather than being symbolic, then they begin to corrupt the devotion they trigger. Now, some people say, well, this, these things are used to trigger my devotion. Well, if they ever leave symbolic and they get to this is really representing, that's where you have a problem. It's hard for humans to avoid this pitfall. And it goes back to, again, uh, wisdom would counsel one more time that it's better and safer uh, to learn to do without them because the risk involved in walking this line, and J.I. Packer's opinion, according to the Second Amendment, isn't worth it. The Second, uh, the second Commandment is, 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 um, <coughs> is something that we have to really ponder today and think to ourselves. These images that we have around that I hope we have as symbols of what we believe, I mean, they can be okay if they stay in the symbolic category. But if they mean more to you than that, like you got to go get it in order to pray or you find yourself praying to it, you find you, yourself thinking that this really is what Jesus looked like and you find yourself thinking that, you know, I'm looking at, in the face of, 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 of the Messiah, that's a problem. And by all biblical representation and the commentary that we have today, it, it likely violates the second commandment. Why is this important in our study? Well, again, if we want to know God and not just know about God, we have to know God as he has described himself. And so anything that takes away God's own description of himself is a problem. And, and, and it, the main reason that I took away from this that it was a problem is that if I start thinking God is something less than he is, it could cost me my redemption. And it could have me maybe not as apt to obey 
something that may be more like me as opposed to being heavens and heavens above what I could ever accomplish on my own. It's important. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. I pray that right now some of us are making adjustments in our life. And I'll tell you what else I pray against, that this is going to turn into a bunch of emails about people saying, well, hell, my opinion is here's what I think. Well, I don't think it's any big deal. Here's the bottom line. It really doesn't matter what you think, and it doesn't matter what I think. I would take this second commandment, I would stare at it, I would apply it to myself, and I would reevaluate everything that's in my home, and I would reevaluate anything that's in the church that shouldn't be there that violates the second commandment. Let's just take a look. There's nothing wrong with just taking an honest look at ourselves and making some corrections if they need to be made. Lord, if there's any sin in our life in violating this second commandment of yours, bring us all under conviction today. In your holy name we pray, amen. If I can help you in any way, you can always reach me, rick at rickandbubba.com. If we can help you with your men's ministry, we have resources, we have strategy, always contact us at themanchurch.com. Thanks for being with us. Lord willing, I'll talk to you again next week.